0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: Serenity Prayer.
2: God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can,
1: and the wisdom to know the difference. I will not mind me. Okay. Okay. Would you please read on page 77 white book?
2: I'm Liam Sixaholic. Hey, Lee. How it Works, the Practical Reality. This title has adapt- is adapted from Chapter 5 of Alcoholics Anonymous entitled How It Works. The books Alcoholics Anonymous and 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, the 12 and 12, constitute the basic test, text, of the original 12-step program. This section is not intended to be a comprehensive exposition of the steps. Our aim here is to try to get at the essential purpose of each step or group of steps so that it can be readily put into action. The SA program is a program of action. Everything begins with sobriety. Without sobriety, there is no program of recovery. But without reversing the deadly traits that underlie our addiction, there is no positive and lasting sobriety. To recover from a life based on wrong attitudes, self-obsession, separation, false connections, blindness, and spiritual death requires a program of action that includes a fundamental change in attitude, character change, union, the true connection, self-awareness, and spiritual life. Working the principles of the steps as a new way of of living has made this happen for us. No matter how well they are explained, understood, or believed, however, the steps mean nothing unless they are actually worked out in our thinking and living. The steps don't work unless we work them. Thank
1: you, Lee. I'm Steve. I'm
2: a sexaholic. Hey, Steve.
1: Yeah, this reading is very important for our our talks uh, uh, that we've been having here. Um, how it works, the practical reality. Um, uh, the, how it works, as it says, is a reference to the AA literature. And, and as, as we said before, um, the AA literature has a special place in the SA Fellowship because um, the founder of SA, Roy Kay, um, in 1974 read an article in Time Magazine. Uh, about alcoholism and realized he had been praying like several days before. He prayed for for, um, uh, help for his sexual addiction. He was not an alcoholic, but he read about the program of recovery that, that Alcoholics Anonymous had and realized that that's what he needed for his sexual addiction. So he went to AA. There was no SA. And he got an AA sponsor, and he worked the steps using the AA Literature, and uh, and that's how he recovered from lust, and that's how AA uh, essay was started. So um, it says here very clearly, and I we read this every time, and I always repeat this for the people that are listening, uh, that the um, white book is not a replacement uh, for the uh, literature. Uh, from AA, the, he, he calls the uh, a, a Big Book and the 12 and 12 the basic texts of the original 12 step program. And uh, especially the 12 and 12, I mean, especially the, the Big Book is an instruction manual on how to work the steps. And the 12 and 12 has in the stat, it talks about the steps and the traditions, but it, it talks about uh, how some of Bill's thoughts uh, later in his recovery on the on the process and the steps. So then it goes on to say that action is the key and the SA program is a program of action, just as the AA program is. Um, everything begins with sobriety. Uh, without sobriety there is no program of recovery. Now he goes on to say that Uh, recovery is more than sobriety but uh, this uh, paragraph is often overlooked without sobriety there is no program of recovery Um, uh, if somebody has a program of recovery uh, that doesn't include uh, sobriety then they've got recovery from something other than sexaholism Uh, so so, um, uh, we've got to get sober uh, we sexaholics um, and uh, and that's what the book tells us. Uh, but but being sober is more than just um, uh, abstaining. Um, the the um, a program uh, the essay program uh, is to help us learn to stay sober. Lust was not my problem; it was my solution. And. Uh, you know, if lust was the problem, then just taking lust out of my body would fix the problem. But I'm a sexaholic, so when you take lust out of my body, that just reveals the problem. But that the that the lust was treating, and that's the ism, the sexaholism. That's me sober. That's the problem. Sobriety is my problem. I can't handle sobriety, and that's that's why I had to come to SA to learn how to live because. Acting out was killing me, but I couldn't stop because I had no idea of how to handle life sober. And so um, this is telling us that we've got to have a fundamental change, what the big book calls a complete psychic change or a spiritual experience or an awakening, a true connection, he calls it here, fundamental change in attitude um, and so forth, a spiritual life, a, a spiritual basis for living. So um, we've been studying what the White Book tells us about how to apply the recovery program of the 12 steps, as explained in the big book in the 12 and 12, um, how to apply it to lust. And we have uh, read already uh, some months ago um, the uh, the earlier part of this book starting with Getting Started, on page uh, sixty three actually, I think we started on sixty one with the solution and um, and and then we read through steps uh, uh, one and two, I believe. but we at, at step three, rather than continuing to step three, we've jumped back to the um, uh, the eighteen uh, wheeler and we've been through the eighteen wheeler and right now we're up to item 15 so we've got about four items to go and once we're finished with that we're going to go back to step three and then we're going to look at what the white book says about step three and we're going to take a look at it in conjunction with what the big book says which is where the instructions are so um, anyway um, let's go to item number 15 uh, Lee do you want to
2: Read, read, you know for that. That. read for us. Fifteen. Recognize and feed your hunger for God. As I came into another stage of awareness, I began to sense that my most basic drive was neither sex nor power nor whatever, but my spiritual hunger, my God drive, the need for God Himself. It seems what I'm really looking for in these visual drinking bouts with lust as I walk down the glamorous avenues of the world is a connection. What I really want is to make the big C with the source of my life. And in my illness, woman is the source of my being, my God. Lust to tease me into believing that is what I cannot live without. When it is really God, I cannot live without. Thus, another technique I use successfully in the moment of temptation is to ask, before turning the head and drinking, Whatever it is I'm looking for now, let me please find it in you.
1: That is a very important prayer.
2: Again and again and again. With every person I'm attracted to, the prayer goes up. It works for me. And what better way to take the love step? This principle of displacement works for all my negative emotions. I feel the place that lust or resentment or fear or judging another would take in my mind with the presence of God. Substitute the real for the unreal. I reach out for God in that situation. It helps to close my eyes while doing this.
1: Okay, well, this is very similar uh, to to. Uh, have you heard of Emmett Fox? No. Emmett Fox was a uh, early twentieth century uh, 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 writer and uh, I guess speaker. Um, I wouldn't call him a preacher so much, but he did talk about spirituality. Um, and he wrote a book called The Sermon on the Mount that was very much read by the early members of AA. Um, and he had another little uh, resource called The Golden Key, which is a little booklet that's quite good. And it really um, takes this very same principle. Uh, it, you know, it, whatever the problem is, Focus on God instead. That's the solution to every problem. And he sh- shows it like a five-page pamphlet. He shows a way to apply it, how to practically apply it. But if I'm willing to use that, it really works. You know, It'll get me through anything without me needing to take a drink or, or act out. So um, anyway, that this, this uh, technique is rooted in the, in the, uh, in the history of, of, of the 12 Steps. Um, do you have any experience is this a prayer that you use regularly whatever it is in you whatever it
2: is I'm looking for in that person place or thing no uh, to be honest I mean I have it I had it underlined in my book but I've never used it I've always relied on the one of um, asking God to you know sow good blessings on that person but never never ask for this Finding it in God. I highly recommend
1: it. Um, one thing that that um, may help if you if you if you you know uh, want to try this and, and don't aren't remembering um, is to put a rubber band on your wrist and you know lightly snap the rubber band when a lust thought comes and say this prayer and you lightly snap it. Not to damage yourself, it's not a punishment, but it's it's a reminder of the pain that lust will cause you. Lust is enticing you by making you think that you're going to get something good if you pursue lust, but this is a lie it's like a fish it's like it's like a fish seeing a worm on a hook. The worm is attractive to the fish it looks like a tasty meal but it's not a tasty meal. It's a trip to the fisherman's frying pan. And we are no smarter than the fish. In fact, the fish probably do- doesn't get a second chance most of the time. We, we always fall for this. When we're you know, on our unaided will, we eventually give in and fall for the same trick again. You know, maybe it's a different look at. It's a different colored worm or something. You know, or it has, you know, uh, more rings on it or something. You know, it's it's like um, we 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 our does our brain causes us to get suckered time and time again, and this prayer helps turn the actual lust thought into a. Signal to take a program action. It it helps me seek God. My disease doesn't want me seeking God. If every time it throws a lust thought at me, I pray, then it's going to be like, I'm losing this battle. I better try something else. And it will back off. That's been my experience. You know, it's like, I better slow down here. If I keep coming at him, you know, with all these ideas, then he's just... I'm just helping. I'm just helping the enemy here. Yeah. So, so um, um, it's it's very powerful. Um, there's a, you know, a fella in Nashville, uh, who you may have heard of, named Harvey, <laughs> and he has a very interesting story about. One time when he was in a meeting with his work, on some sort of conference that was very important, and it was in a conference room, and there was about half a dozen, uh, a dozen people there or something, and there was one person in the room that was really triggering to him. But he couldn't leave, and he was really getting disturbed, and he was praying, he was praying this prayer over and over, and he was still struggling. And finally, He did the following. He took his chair and he turned it one quarter of an inch away from that person. No one else could tell what he had done. But he knew. And that action was enough to break the pattern. For me, that's what the rubber band is like. It's a little action that I take to go along with the prayer. You know, it's a physical action that goes with the prayer. Now sometimes... I need to do something more. Like if I if I have a similar situation and I don't have to be in that meeting, I can get up and walk out. You know, and he could have if it, if it was urgent, but but it would have been very costly to him and his you know work situation to, to leave that meeting. You know, and I, I bet you he would have paid it if he had to. But the but the point is is that action is a program of action. So saying the prayer is is an action and it's a good action but prayer I heard a speaker talk about prayer having a prayer with legs you know, meaning you know you, you, you say something with your mouth but then your feet have to go in the same direction as the prayer and so that action of turning away just and it wasn't noticeable to anyone else but it was an action that broke the spell. And and a lot of times when I'm in a public situation like that and I'm objectifying someone and I'm looking and I'm triggered, no one else notices that either. Hopefully, you know, if I get really sick, they might. But but you know, it's like that's unnoticeable also. The disease is that subtle. Well, so can my recovery. All it's just an act of the will for me to let God in instead of lust. And and so um, to me, that's very powerful, and and so recognize and feed your hunger for God. Number fifteen, you know, it, it helps to close my eyes while doing this. You're also nearsighted. It helps me to take my glasses off.
2: You know, yeah, I've done that. Uh, I've done that, that Yeah, it
1: helps. It helps me a lot. I'm quite myopic, and yeah. without my glasses, everything's blurry. It, you know, I mean. It's not a solution in and of itself, but it's, it's an aid, and it's, it's a small action that I can take and when I do enough of these small actions, it breaks whatever hold the, the temptation has on me and, and and I say with my actions, not just with my thoughts, I don't want to, I don't want that. you know I want, I want to seek God instead. I do not want to bite that hook again, you know thinking that it's going to be something sweet when it. When it when it you know it's not sweet at all. it's like it's like dog crap with chocolate sauce on it. you know now would you fall for that? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, I've never tried that, right but I bet you it tastes more like dog crap than it does like chocolate sauce
0: yeah.
1: and and that is what lust is like for me. It's the chocolate sauce on the dog crap. so I'd rather not have that meal again (laughs) so this is what i do you know but i've got a thing the chocolate sauce just draws me in so so i've got these tools that if i use them i don't have to act out today that's a good thing okay number
2: 16 number 16 cast it out there are certain times when I felt like I was walking through a Lutz minefield with charges going off all around me. It was so unusually severe and persistent that I have wondered if I were under some kind of attack. At such times, I've taken the extreme measure of casting it out vocally as though it were a foreign evil presence. Not in my own power or authority, but in the power and authority of my higher power. I don't claim to understand this, and I don't make a big deal about it, but it has worked for me when I seem otherwise totally at the mercy of what was going on. In ensuing years, I've heard other members share similar experiences.
1: Interesting. What do you think of this? you have an experience like this?
2: (sighs) No, I'm not where I felt like I was under attack. I was. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there are some situations that, you know, I can't right off the top of my head where I could be like, are you kidding me? You know, um, I, well, actually, yeah. I mean, the, just driving in the car this time of the year, you know, people showing more and more skin, you know, I could be having a good day focus on what I gotta do and everything and make that one turn. And there's a person coming with a lot of skin that could totally derail me and derail my day. Um, and that's when I usually start praying for that person to help me get off the lusting. Well, oh, that may
1: be an attack of some kind. I think, um, you know, from the disease model point of view, this is more of a of a kind of, uh, to me, it reminds me somewhat of, of some elements of my faith tradition. Um, you know, there's some ideas here for an evil presence, you know, um, uh, for me, that, that, that has a meaning. I had a, an experience when I was very young where, where I once had a palpable presence of evil you know, nearby. It was like something out of a horror movie. It, it, it was just something I sensed that, that, you know, uh, when I was young, and it just really affected me. And uh, you know, I tend to, I t- It tends to help me to perceive of my disease as, 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 a, as an evil power. Um that i need I need help and and you know power authority of my higher power, so uh, you know people use this phrase casting it out sometimes just to mean to, to bring something into the light, but he's using this now as as the the idea of like casting out a demon or something you know in the name of of my higher power, and um I don't know if this is right for everyone but for me, there've been times when it's been very helpful to just speak, like you get the, you know, heck out of my house, sort of thing, yeah. and and um, you know, and, and on whose authority, you know, uh, God's authority, and um, so that's been that's been very helpful for me, um, and hey, man, if you. You ever reach a day where you're trying to uh, everything and nothing seems to work? Hey, man, try, try, it it. try it. You know, talk to it like it's like it's an evil thing, and command it. You know, obviously, I can't command it on my own power because I'm powerless. Uh, but but um, you know, God 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 doesn't need me to act out. <laughs> God, if I seek it and I trust God's power, then he he gives me the power to not act out. So, anyway, whatever works,
2: keep doing it. All right, 17. 17. Take refuge in God. Often I call on God's presence as a shield to protect me from my own lusts or emotions or from the lusts or emotions of others. Again, as soon as I feel overwhelmed and see the image in the corner of my eye and want to turn and drink, I'll say, I take your presence to shield me from my lust or whatever it is. But I have to take up that shield. I have to turn to him for refuge. Another telegram for help I send up today, after some years of sobriety, is something like this. I don't want any part of this lust or other negative emotion or attitude. I want you to take it. It works every time, but I have to give it away.
1: Yeah. And both of those places the I is italicized for stress. I have to take up that shield. I have to give it away. It's an act of the will. And um you know, when I'm willing, when I when I make that um uh when I make that uh statement, you know, from my, my own will, that then you know God's help is there for me. I have, you know, I have to turn to Him for refuge. That refuge is there if I turn to it. Um, the, um, I had a sponsor recently, and we had a talk about this, and it was a good talk. But he was, he was saying, You know, I really want to act out. And I was like, You know, he, he's been sober, uh, just, just had a year uh, uh, last week. And, and, but, but a few months ago he was, he was have he was struggling and, 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 you know, he's having these thoughts and gosh, you know, I really want to act out. He was telling me, and I say, and I said to him, you know, actually you don't, your disease wants you to, and that's what you're feeling. And if you identify with that disease and say, that's me, then you are eventually going to act out, but that's not the real you. If that was who you really are, it wouldn't be killing you inside to do it. You know, my real self is a child of God and it doesn't have those desires. So I don't have to identify myself with that lust feeling. I mean, I've got to take responsibility for it. Don't get me wrong, but it's not who I am any more than if I had cancer, that would be who I am. You know, it's a disease. And the disease wants to act out, not me. You know, if the disease is really rare enough, I might really feel it, like a desire to act out. Yes, that's that's how the disease works. But that's not me. And that was helpful. That's that was helpful for me, and it was helpful for him. You know, because if I say I want to do this, I want to do this sick act. You know, well, maybe it, 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 I may not think it's sick. You know, there are some things that are. It's socially acceptable or whatever, uh, but are still unhealthy for me. But, but, you know, many of the things that I, uh, you know, my lust, like, many of the places lust, my lust takes me is beyond the bounds of, what, of what's acceptable. And those things are, um, you know, very shameful for me. But I have learned that they're not who I am. I don't have to identify myself with that behavior. You know that, that's, that's me betraying myself not fulfilling myself that's not my true self and so that's helpful for me that, that takes away the power of me feeling like this is who I really am so why don't I just do it no no this is who I'm not and that's a really good reason to, to do, go to any length to not do it yeah. and so that helps me a lot um yeah taking refuge in God. God's presence as a shield. See, there are times where I use this terminology very vividly um, uh, and imagined the shield. Uh, I, I use fantasy to act out of my disease. If I If I am seeking God, I can use it in my, you know, in my defense from the disease, uh, this is what, you know, this is uh, a promise from God for me that His presence is a shield to protect me. If I, it says I have to take up that shield. If I do that, then I, it, it, can, it can become real for me, and my imagination can help me do that. So, I don't know, you know. When I was a kid, I loved Tolkien and The Hobbit and Dungeons and Dragons, and I loved to imagine getting on armor and having a shield and, and, a, and a sword and all this stuff. Well, I can still imagine that stuff, and it's just in a completely different context now, but, it, but it's, very, it's very helpful. All the things that I have used to pursue lust, I can use to pursue my recovery. Whether it's my imagination or, or my emotions or uh you know uh, things that I write uh you know poems or, or or songs or or anything rituals, any weird thing that I did in the pursuit of my disease, I can do it in pursuit of god and it and it and it fuels my recovery ever ever as much as it did you know my disease, so anyway, I use whatever i I can <laughs> to uh you know give my prayers legs
2: okay number 18 last one 18 look lust in the eye now I'm I'm also discovering a new way of dealing with the day's temptation so they won't come back and hit me in my dreams I have noticed that instead of true surrender I, I can sometimes during the day push lust down out of sight by sheer willpower There have been times after doing this when lust has later resurfaced in erotic dreams in such a way that I knew I could act out sexually in my sleep without even touching myself and knowing I had the choice. How super powerful those temptations are, and scary, they get your attention. I've had enough of those close calls to, to take preventative action. Just before going to sleep, I deliberately recall to my mind's eyes each lust temptation that struck with me during the day, looking that person full in the face. I bring each person to the light before God as I surrender, admitting my powerlessness over lust. I say, you know my heart, how I really want to lust. I send it away to you. Come be victorious over my lust. I do not want any of it, conscious or subconscious. I want you to bear it. For me, Please keep me sober from all my lust tonight. Often I add a prayer for that person involved in my temptation, going outward and giving. It's my way of staying clean at the subconscious level. It's also my way of coping with fear of falling in my sleep. Okay. What do you think about this? That's good. Um, I definitely can relate to... Um, you know, if if I feed lust, if if I, if I don't surrender my lust, I, I I've had it cross over into my dreams, mm-hmm. um, very vividly and so far.
1: Yes, yes. And you know, I think early on there was a couple of times where I caught myself going to sleep, you know, with the thought, "Oh, I hope I have a sexual dream." And, you know, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. So, anyway. But but there have been some people who've interpreted this as meaning that if I have a wet dream, then I need to reset my sobriety. And that is not not the the way that, that, you know, the majority of people that I know interpret this. I, I know a man who's been sober over 30 years and he um, struggled with this early on and was actually really worried um, and he called an old timer when he was, you know, a fellow who was in the fellowship who's no longer alive, a fellow named Jess L. And, and he talked to this fellow, to Jess and I think it was Jess he talked to. Anyway, he talked to an old timer uh, and, and the old timer told him you know, these dreams are are about your recovery, not your disease, and and it was very helpful to him. I I didn't have sexual dreams when I was acting out all the time. I never had a wet dream. You know, they didn't start until I got sober. Yeah. <laughs> and and they do not follow the pattern of an addiction. An addiction is something that uh, you know. When, when I try to satisfy an appetite, the appetite increases rather than decreases. A normal healthy appetite, like I'm thirsty, I want water, I drink water, the appetite decreases. That's how appetites are naturally supposed to function. Now, when they are deranged or when you're, you're taking something in that's unhealthy, like if you drink salt water, it will actually deplete your water and increase your thirst. So it 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 increases your thirst. It's it that's that's the same thing that lust does, or an addictive substance. If I do it, then I want more, not less. I don't have any feeling of satisfaction, um, and 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 so it goes out of control. I have not found that if I have a wet dream, I don't suddenly have two wet dreams the next night, and then you know it, it doesn't it doesn't get out of control. It's like something physiological happens. And then, you know, a few months later, it happens again and and so for me but but it's quite a different matter if I'm going to sleep with this intent or this desire to have a sexual dream. I mean and I think this I've, I've really got to watch out for that kind of thing, and this um prayer uh, uh, bedtime prayer is a good one. Um, so anyway, um, you know. Keep me sober from all my lust tonight, and I don't pray that exactly usually, but I ask for protection from lust while I'm asleep. So that's a good prayer to say at bedtime. Um, so how are you doing, Lauren? You want to check in? <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> you just come in from out of town. Do you want to share anything about uh, SA International since you've been? Traveling afar. Yeah, you can you can speak to the people here.
3: <laughs> no, it was good. Um, I, I had two meetings in Toronto, and it, that was really cool. They, they, it was neat to know people who know people that I know. And uh, saw a guy that I recognized from one of the conventions.
1: You, can you, you remember anybody's first name? You can say hi to I'm on the air. <laughs> Maybe they'll hear this. I'm not sure. They're there. Yeah. yeah, I remember
3: um, Curtis and Brian and Mike and JP. Okay. And, um... You know, a shout out to all of them. <laughs> That's where guys actually talked to after the meeting or whatever, so And did you go to the Brooklyn meeting? I did not. I um I went home the night before and pulled up the address on my phone and it was estimating a twenty something minute cab ride at one AM. I was like, This is gonna this is not gonna be good at 6:30. six know, thirty. Six thirty would have been I mean, okay. It might have been. I just
1: well, it would have been okay if I wanted to drop $60 or something like that on cab fare or something like that. I don't know. That. Yeah, I don't know what they are nowadays, but did you, did you talk $30. to Dove? No. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, well, we'll, we'll see him when he comes to Memphis. Yeah, I left to I'll Well, to make it hello up. to Dove if you're listening. So, <laughs> or if you're a friend of Dove's, please tell him we said hi down here in
2: Memphis.
1: <laughs> so, it's great. We've got a big... Um, worldwide fellowship and i don't travel that much anymore but every time i've traveled and gone to a meeting in a different city it's really cool to walk in yeah, to, to and meet a bunch of strangers who are, are part of my family yeah, <laughs> it is. yeah the, they're already friends i don't I haven't even met them yet so yeah, yeah it's a pretty quick bond when
3: they somebody was somebody in their shear was talking about bill s I don't know if that was because I was in the meeting and they knew I was from the area or they had had Bill S up there for a marathon. In Toronto? Like a, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, know, was a know, month recent.
1: Yeah. It was recent. It's like, hey, I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello to Bill S also. Bill S is my sponsor. So um and, and Lauren's grand sponsor, so and um and you're a great grand sponsor, I think. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, so we're, we're all grateful for Bill S. Okay, we just finished number 18, and there is a summary. Would you like to read, Lauren? I'm
3: fresh. All right, summary? Yep. These various ways of overcoming lust take practice that they work. It took many years to program myself to lusting as I did. I found it takes time to stop that and program myself to reality. Whenever I began any of the above techniques, it felt artificial and forced. I didn't want to do it. It didn't feel right. I try not to trust those disease feelings anymore. They're what got me here. Taking some of these measures was like killing off part of me. They were so much against my natural inclinations. But I found that what I needed to be set free was to take such forceful stands against my old ways of thinking and doing. These were breakthroughs into right action. I always have to remember that it's not the person out there that's causing my lust and discomfort, it's me. This brings up one final point. The lust I want to stay sober from is my lust. I made it what it is. I am a lustaholic. In the same way, I am res- a resentful and angry person, a judging and condemning person, a fearful person. There is no healing for me if I deny, evade, or cover my defects. I am as sick as my secrets. On the other hand, I can live free of the power anyhow, you know, and all these defects have over me by resorting to God instead of such negative emotions. I thus have a daily, hourly reprieve from my lust, etc., based on maintaining the right attitude. And I maintain the right attitude by working the steps and traditions and going to meetings, 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 meetings. God has apparently not chosen to eradicate my defective self so that I am no longer capable of lust, resentment, fear, and the rest. If he ever did that, i have no need of him. I'd be an automaton. It's progressive victory over my defects. This is the name of the game. I myself am what could be called a sinner. But I take from God the power I do excuse me. But I take from God the power I do not have in myself to transcend my sins. Victory through powerlessness by the grace of God. That's the beautiful paradox of this program. In and through my powerlessness I receive the power and love that come from above. And that's the difference between self denial and surrender. Self denial white knuckling it brought misery and failure acknowledging what i am surrendering and relying on god's power bring release freedom and joy recovery is an inside job the above list of suggestion suggestions on overcoming lust will be forever incomplete as will the experiences reflected in this book everyone who stays sober and grows in recovery will add to our collective experience what works for them our lives, such as they are, are the real book, known and read of all men. As time goes by, more is revealed, and it keeps getting better. This is the great adventure of recovery through recovery from sexaholism. Thank
1: Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Laura.
3: I, saw it. Mm-hmm. I like the way he says that I took many years to program myself to lusting as I did mm-hmm. And it's, I mean I totally relate to that I just I mean it was like working out I mean I practiced that stuff and I sensitized and worked out those mental areas and emotional whatever um, I, I don't even know what so I was working out But I just, you know, became, it became, um, you know, just the same habits over and over again. I still see them, you know, just like temptations to look um, and, um, you know, um, things like, things that are just so ingrained that got ingrained over decades of you know, the stealing looks from people and, um, whatever else, um, that's just what I'm thinking of right now. But I saw some of that, you know, I spend six days by myself and, um, largely by myself and kind of see that stuff. Um, there's nobody to talk to or whatever and, um, so I see the patterns and I can recognize it now for what it is I know what I'm doing and um, it's a lot quicker to pray pray for that person pray for myself whatever but um, so it's not like it's it's not like it's something that's gonna necessarily um, in my sobriety or whatever but at the same time I, I recognize what I am and I, I see what I am and um, just got to take the actions to counteract the kind of the spiritual actions to counteract the um and ultimately if i'm if, if i rec- I think that if I recognize I'm doing that stuff out of habit or whatever as opposed to is my heart really searching for something in that moment Um, am i trying to connect and looking for lust i I think that um, it's not going to necessarily have that much power over me i don't know if that makes sense but um, it's like i can i can still have these old habitual actions and it kind of be disconnected to some degree. A physical action that doesn't quite have that spiritual attachment that it used to, where I'm grasping, uh, you know, without that vampire energy that my lust um, always had associated with it. I don't know if that. Um, so I can, I guess, to go back. To where, you know, it was basically saying programming, he, he programmed himself yeah. to, to take those actions. And so those actions aren't, they just aren't gone yet, you know? Um, even if I'm in a better spiritual place today, it's like they're still there. And so they don't have as much, they
1: don't, if I find myself taking those actions of, looking
3: down someone's shirt or something like that, you know, something that's like knee-jerk instinct, um, reaction, if it's not quite, um, I, I feel like I can take that action, and if I'm not, um, spiritually in a bad place, you know, I can kind of
1: recover from it pretty quickly. Um, and I know when I get that lust hit too if I because if I, I mean I
3: can do that and there not be a lust hit associated with it it's just like oh I just look on the woman's shirt I'm sorry shouldn't have done that and say a prayer for her and, and move on but there's you know in the past would've, I would I would want to look again or start undressing her or imagining
1: you know what, what I'd like to be doing with her or whatever and just a different spiritual and mental dynamic. Um, that was really long. <laughs> I'm
3: not sure if that. I'm not sure if I articulated that. But
1: um. well, I think you were talking about the program for loss, and and you know, for me, um, you know, it's like. That many years of programming myself to lusting as I did is what he said here. Mm-hmm. You know that to me it's like that. Those are grooves in a record, yeah. and and if I don't, if I stay sober and I work the program for a while, then maybe those grooves don't get played and they fill up with dust. Uh, and you know if I my needle wanders over there, then it just kind of skips off because there's so much dust. But I tell you, if they get in there. You know they can they can grab sometimes uh, even with the dust and and if I let it hang there it's going to clear all that dust out there and the groove is still going to be there yeah. you know now I've got I've, I've got after some time I start laying down new grooves it says it takes time to stop that and program myself to reality so I got to lay down new grooves and that's where I want to keep my needle today you mm-hmm. know in, in those grooves. Um uh but but they're still I mean I've been doing this for fourteen years. I I my my uh sex began when I was six years old and I got sober uh when I was thirty six. That's thirty years. So those thirty year old grooves are still a lot deeper than the recovery grooves are. Now, I wanna keep collecting dust, you know, and uh but but and, and I agree that sometimes the old actions you know, w- will happen and they do have less power today. You know, I-, I don't think that I'm as close to the edge as I was, you know, uh, you know, during my first 30 days or my first six months. It would take, there would be more <laughs> signals that I would have to cross if I went back to where I was. The thing is though, I know I can go back. I have friends that had, uh, you know, decades of sobriety and then acted out again, and they have not been able to get sober And I know one guy who had 25 years of sobriety. He acted out, and it's like three years, and he's not been able to get any, any long-term sobriety since then, after 25 years. And uh, another friend who had 10 years. Another friend who had 8 years. Now, the friend who had 8 years, actually... Is 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 uh, almost got a year again? He's really he's really come back, and so it, it proves. You know, if I act out after long term sobriety, it, it doesn't mean you know I, I'm I'm toast, automatically. You know, uh, but you know it's cunning, baffling, and powerful. And and you know I I you know if I if I have stayed sober for 30 years, one day if I live long enough and I don't act out, that's going to happen. Uh. And if it does, then I can say, you know, my grooves for my recovery are as deep as the ones for my disease, <laughs> and maybe I break even. But, but, um, but, yeah. So this summary, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in here. That that's all in that first paragraph. That stuff about the program, you know, Lusting is a program too. We talk about the program recovery. I I have 30 years um, of, uh, of of uh, in my program of Lusting. So I have worked that program. And the next paragraph I really think is about willingness. It says, when I began any of the above techniques, it felt artificial and forced. He's talking about the 18. I didn't want to do it. I didn't feel right. Now look what he says here. I try not to trust those diseased feelings anymore. They are what got me here. That's what I was... Uh, what we were talking about earlier about uh, identifying. Now, you know, he he, he says, I didn't want to do it. It didn't feel right. But willingness is not about what I want to do. It's about what I do. And that's what's important. For me, willingness used to be like what I feel inclined to do. Oh, I'm willing to do that. And if I didn't want to do it, then I'd be like, no, I'm not willing. But, I discovered in this program the word "willing" is not about what I want to do, or what I say I'm going to do, or what my intentions are. It's about what I actually do, and and that's what what makes makes this work. You know, is this kind of willingness, and I think that's what he's talking about here. He's also talking about the diseased feelings are what didn't want to do it, about how it didn't feel right, it didn't feel right to my diseased feelings. That makes perfect sense. My reference for my whole life was those diseased feelings. Um, And so, you know, I took martial arts, uh, you know, uh, and uh, did that, you know, started in the 80s. And early on, there was these postures where I was supposed to have my feet parallel. And I knew they were supposed to be parallel. And my teacher kept saying, your feet aren't parallel. That they felt parallel, and then he would show me, you know, look in the mirror, or he would even put uh, lines on the floor so I could see that they weren't pointing. My toes weren't pointing in the same direction. And and he said, and I kept making a mistake. So he told me, look, if you want to get your feet parallel, you're going to have to make them feel like they're turned in too much, so they won't feel parallel. If you turn them, and make them feel like your toes are pointing inward, then they'll be too parallel. And that's what I had to do. I had to be well. I feel like I'm not me, but but my toes, Now my toes are parallel. And that's what this is like. You know, it's like when I when I start doing the right thing, it's going to feel wrong. So I have to decide to feel wrong, <laughs> and 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 then and then I you know I can take these actions. And I know it's, I, when it feels wrong, I know it's right. <laughs> and if it feels right, then I know it's wrong. So that's what it was like. He also talks about you know uh, that some of these measures were against my natural inclinations and again that sounds like that that's his nature to do the, the, the old stuff but i really think that in terms of uh you know if you go to page 40 where he's talking about lust he says it's an attitude demanding that a natural instinct serve unnatural desires so he's he's saying over here that lust is n- unnatural the natural instinct is is what's right, the way it's supposed to be, and then lust is a perversion of that. And I think that's when he says my natural inclinations over on page one sixty seven. He he's talking about his default inclinations in his disease. So so um, in, in, anyway, after what we've just said, you know, it's like these are actually not my true nature. These inclinations. Anyway, that that's that's. That's for me. Also, he says on page 168, I maintain the right attitude by working the steps and traditions and going to meetings, 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 meetings. And notice that he puts working the steps first. Now, this is a summary of this whole section called Overcoming Lust and Temptation. And if you go back over the 18 points, you'll see that there's kind of a pattern here. The first uh, few uh, uh, things are about the first step. You know, powerlessness. Admit, admit powerlessness. Stop feeding the obsession. Stop practicing the compulsion. Participate in the fellowship of the program. That's one thing that I do because I'm powerless. I didn't come here because I wanted to hang out with you guys. I came out because I had a problem... I couldn't stop. Um, surrender. Notice within surrender, he talks about the second step. You've seen the pattern here. Bring the inside out. He talks about steps four, five, and ten. In this, and this. Then in seven, the trust, he talks about the third step, prayer. Um, so, go to work on other defects. Number nine. Now, what's that about? He just talked about literature of the program, and the first thing he says is the 12 and 12 and Alcoholics Anonymous were my first guys in working the step again and again. I found what I needed and those original documents that launched the 12-step program. So this is one of the many places in this book um, where they... Um, uh, Uh, point out the importance of the AA literature and here's a few more that I've got written down I think that's what these are for Um, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read them here Uh, we probably mentioned them in the past but um, we have uh, page 77 we have page 126 we have page 161 we have page 109 and page 112. And you know, when we're talking about the program, we're talking about something we're betting our life on. If we have this disease for real, and it's killing us, either spiritually or, you know, in reality, my came close to, you know, uh, uh, convincing me to put a bullet in my own brain. And uh, if, if that's what our disease is, then the program is is what we're betting our life on. And the AA program is, is the best bet out there. Um, if you want to improvise, you know, you go right ahead. But um, uh, I'm going to do that with, with things that, that, that have, uh, you know, that are less risky. I'm just not that much of a gambler today. Um, so anyway, the point is, is that this, this is talking about working the steps. All these, all these things are about uh, either working the steps or applying the principles that are in the steps. Getting back um, uh, uh, more than I give. you know. Or it says the measure I give is the measure I get back. Uh, my sponsor and I were, were saying, actually, I've gotten back a lot more than I've given from the program. So um, anyway, um, make friends in the program. Get a sponsor. This is all about working the steps. Carry the message of your recovery. Practice taking the actions of love. And then the last five, and the last four, recognize and feed your hunger for God, cast it out, take refuge in God, look light in the eye, look lust in the eye. There are so many prayers in here. This is about God. And, and, and Sandy Beach once said that the AA program, there's only one solution for every problem. Every problem. The problem is more spiritual growth. I mean, the, the solution is more spiritual growth. Whatever the problem is, the solution is more spiritual growth. Get closer to God. And in Sandy Beach, you know, when he first came into the AA program, he was a little frustrated by this. He says, well, where's the step where I get $500? dollars i got to pay my landlord my rent money or we get thrown out of the house. What step do I You know, I say, oh, I've got this problem. I'm going to get thrown out of my, my uh, uh, house if I don't pay the rent. And... People would say, Oh, you need to say the Serenity Prayer, or you need to come to more meetings, or you need, you know, to say the the, the prayer of Saint Francis or you need to get, get you know, work with the sponsee or something. And and he was like, That's not what I need. But later he realized that when he was drinking, he had one answer for every problem. What would he do if his landlord was fixing to throw him out? I will think I'll have a drink. And then the problem wouldn't be so bad. What, 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 what would he do if there was too many dishes in the sink and they were bothering him? Have a drink. Now they're not bothering me. One solution to every problem. Have a drink. Now maybe that's very similar to the way I approach life and my sexaholism. One solution to every problem. Now I just, I just got assaulted on the subway. I think I'll act out. I just got fired. I think I'll act out, you know. And so, I've got one solution for every problem: seek God, get closer to God, uh, find God or die, is what it says on page ninety-three, which is step three, which is where we're going back to. That was a, a tough saying from the early uh, AA days, and, uh, and 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 Roy says this is this is us here too. So. Why don't we take a break and um, and come back in a few minutes and then talk about step three. Because we, we finished Overcoming Lust and Temptation, and then we're going to go back to page 93, which is where we were, I think, maybe in March is when we finished uh, page 92, step two. And, um, okay.
2: So wait, you want to start reading on page 93? Yep. Step 30, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. The turning point. The first recovering alcoholics out of his experiences, the 12-step program was forged with a tough saying, find God or die. Alcohol has a way of destroying the body. In a different sense, this is also our dilemma. Find your true connection or lose yourself. Lust was a way of destroying the soul. In step three, we surrender our, de- our defiance and became reconciled to our God. We discovered that the root of our problem is conscious separation from the source of our lives. The solution is conscious union with the source. Thus, coming to the end of ourselves and surrender brought us to the place where we could finally let God have a personal place in our lives. Practicing step three is like the opening of a door, which to all appearances is still closed and locked. All we need is a key, and the decision to swing the door open. There is only one key, and it is called willingness. Once unlocked by willingness, the door opens almost of itself, and looking through it, we shall see a pathway beside which is an inscription. It reads, this is the way so faith that works. In the first two steps, we were engaged in reflection. We saw that we were powerless, but we also perceived that faith of some kind is possible to anyone. These conclusions did not require action. They required only acceptance. Like all remaining steps, step 30 calls for affirmative action, for it is only by action that we can cut away the self-will which has always blocked the entry of God into our lives. Therefore, our problem now becomes just how and by what specific means shall we be able to let him in. Step 3 represents our first attempt to do this. In fact, the effectiveness of the whole program will, reset upon how well and earn- will rest upon how well and earnestly we have tried to come to the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. 12, 12, 12 and 12, page 34 through 35. The AA text goes on to examine the role of dependence in our lives and our realness self-sufficiency and concludes. So it is by circumstance, rather than by any virtue, that we have been driven to AA, have admitted defeat, have acquired the rudiments of faith, and now want to make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to a higher power. 12 and 12, page 38. It is when we try to make our will confirm with God's, But we began to use it rightly. To all of us, this was a most wonderful revelation. Our whole trouble had been the misuse of willpower. We had tried to bombard our problems with it instead of attempting to bring it into agreement with God's intention for us. To make this increasingly possible in the purpose of AA's 12 Steps and Step 3 opens the door. Page 40. Taking Step 3 is a matter of the heart. But as with most of the other steps, bringing our intentions into the light of another person or group has a power that the best of intention on one's own do not. The road to our hell was paved with good intentions and fine resolve. Taking step three is best done with our sponsor or an understanding person on the program. We are cautioned, however, that that it's better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. The words we use, of course, are quite optional so long as we express the true desire of our hearts, voicing it without reservation, making sure we can at last abandon ourselves utterly to Him. Here is the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Alcoholics Anonymous, Mm -hmm. page 63.
1: As we're going to see, there's quite a few things that he said in the the last paragraph before the quote that that are from uh, the big book. He didn't quote them, but but they're almost exactly... um, uh, or you know, better to make God alone than with one who might misunderstand. The wording is quite optional. Mm-hmm. Voicing it without reservation, making sure we can at them about down ourselves. I That's all from the big book. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <clears throat> this uh, on page ninety-three in that second paragraph, where it says, "We discover that the root of our problem is conscious separation from the capital S source of our lives. The solution is conscious union with that capital S source." um my sponsor pointed out to me this this is Chuck C. This is from a guy named Chuck C who was very well known in AA <coughs> throughout the 70s. Um Bill Wilson died in 71 and and Chuck C was I guess for for the time that he was alive I think he lived into the 80s. Um was uh sort of like the successor, the spiritual successor um, uh, to Bill, uh, Bill W. and um, Chuck was in California, in L.A. where Roy was. And as we learn in um, this, uh, the uh, beginnings booklet, which tells about the origins of SA and, the, and, and some of the early history, that uh, Chuck C was Roy's grand sponsor, meaning that he was a sponsor sponsor. And um, we're, we believe, um, uh, some of us believe that we know who Roy's sponsor actually was, a fellow named Clancy, who's still alive and has, uh, I think, between 55 and 60 years of sobriety in AA. Um, but um, Roy, uh, in addition to being sponsored by Clancy, also had personal contact with Chuck. And, um, and, and that Chuck actually had an important role in Roy's decision to, to, to start SA uh, you can read about that in the beginnings pamphlet but that's, that's an important thing and there's, a, there's actually a book it's out of print now I think but it's called A New Pair of Glasses and it's a transcript of uh, this talk that Chuck gave um, in 76 I think um, it, was, it was about step 12 I think it was called Practicing These Principles in All Our Affairs. It was a weekend retreat, and, 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 it, and it's about six CDs, if you buy the CDs. I think you can get them online. Um, uh, the, the, the sound quality is not that great, but, but the material is very good. And, um, and that's this big thing. You know, This is comfort, com, comprehensive separation from the source of our lives. Um, now, let's finish up this uh, short bit um, on Step 3 here in the White Book, and then, and then let's look at some of the things in the, in the Big Book about Step 3.
3: Page 95 there, one day at a time. One day at a time. Once we've taken Step 3, it's easier to begin to practice it in our daily lives. In times of emotional disturbance or indecision, we can pause, ask for quiet, and in the stillness simply say it. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thy will not mine be done. 12 and 12, page 41. We become able to transcend lust more and more by calling on God's power to expel the obsession, surrender temptation, and trust Him in all things. As we do this, we learn to begin each day with the same type of commitment. Asking God to keep us sober for just that day, one day at a time. This means we are learning to live without lust and really want to be free. One member's prayer is, Lord, I surrender my lust and ask you to keep me sober from my lust today because I cannot, but by your strength I can. Any of us also, before going to sleep, surrender our lust again and ask to be kept free of it throughout the night we discovered we had to surrender the entire self subconscious included for lusts have permeated our entire being in simple but profound words the whole program can be reduced to what someone discovered for himself without god i can't without me god won't may you turn to him now
1: that's another quote from the big book Mm -hmm. may you turn to him now so, anyway, um, any, any comments before we go over to the big book?
3: I'm Lawrence, I saw it. And, um, the part that was talking about willingness and um, you know, this is the way to a faith that works. I don't, uh, I don't know, Um, I don't think I was that willing when I came in, I wasn't, I was, but at the same time, I think I wanted to do one meeting a week when I came in, and um, you, you didn't force me to do anything. (laughs) <laughs> you didn't to any, any, You didn't give me any ultimatums. And um how's that work? You made suggestions and I don't know at what point I started ramping up the meetings or whatever and but it was slow, yeah. Like it, I had to learn it. Um, which kind of is weird to me that that I was staying sober but I just knew. I don't know if I was feeling crazy and knew it or um, or whatever. but And we didn't have a ton of meetings back then either. But um, I worked it up to, you know, at least like three or four a week. And it became more eventually. There was a time when I was doing four or five a week. And still do three or four. And um so I just think I, I remember I remember kind of pushing back when you told me to um, that, that I probably wasn't going to have degrees of returns if I went to one meeting a week or something like that. And um, I don't know, I don't know how I stay sober through that. I didn't do that very long.
1: Well, you know, I also remember that, you know, what I remember is in October of that year in 2009, you had, I think, you had gone to Boston, I think, mm-hmm. and, and you had relapsed. Well, <laughs> it hadn't been that long. Hadn't been sober either. Huh? I mean, that was... That you was you had only been in S.A. for a couple of months. Weeks. Weeks. Well, no. But you would say right. sober for I don't know a month, maybe or something. Yeah, the Boston trip was in um,
3: September.
1: I, I wasn't sober. I mean, okay. okay. Well, uh, maybe you weren't being fully, fully, <laughs> whatever. Maybe probably, I didn't know everything that was going on. Probably within
3: two weeks of you of uh, me asking you to sponsor me. But I remember. I remember but there was the one in uh, October. Was coming back from a trip to out west.
1: Well, Bill Stewart. And um, Robert, Robert uh, M. Were, were in town right um, for a uh, workshop. I think it was less than a week. And they were staying at the uh, Hotel mm-hmm. Hampton Inn mm-hmm. over on Poplar, and we were uh, kind of checking them into their hotel and. You were, I think, helping us, you know, we had gone out to eat or picked them up at the airport or something. We picked Robert up, I guess. And and, um, I remember talking to you then, and you had just kind of... What's your sobriety date? October 7th. Yeah, so I, I think it must have been a few days after that. Yeah, I'm
3: pretty sure I was less than... because you were introducing me to them, and I
1: remember feeling... Maybe some shame or... When did you ramp the meetings up? Shortly thereafter? I don't know. Okay. I don't know, but... It's but yeah, a I remember gradual, you...
3: Gradual was like, I'm going
1: to do nothing. You've always um, kind of mystified me a little bit because I went to 500 meetings in my first year. Right. And, and that was necessary for me. And I didn't even think that you were sick enough to be an SA, man. I was just like, <laughs> you still had 20 good years back now I'm left in you as far as I was concerned. You know, I was like, this guy's not going to get it. He's not going to be willing to do, do stuff. But something happens, you know, I don't know, maybe, I, I don't I, I don't understand it. All I know is you say you weren't very willing, but you, whenever it started, I don't know, you started doing the things that one needs to do to recover. You started, uh, you know, calling, uh, you didn't want to call people, you know. And, uh, and I told you that if you wanted a, a, a program that a lot of people had found it necessary, you know, and, and I certainly had and that I highly recommend it, you started doing it. And, and I told you one meeting was not gonna, you started doing it. You didn't want to do it, but you started doing it. You, uh, you know, started meeting with me and getting instructions on how to work the steps. And you follow those instructions and call me back and say, I've done this, now what do I do? And I'm like, Well, oh, what's up with this guy? You know? He 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 hasn't he, has a, he has, he's not hurting bad enough to recover. What's going on? Because you kept you kept doing this stuff. So to me that's willingness. Yeah. That's the thing, is like I can't I remember hearing
3: I think it was Steve B. Steve B. who said at some point basically to summarize it you don't always have to give it any length you get sober you have to be willing to that's right and um and that kind of yeah that makes a lot of sense and, it's, and, and that's true to my experience um yeah just a willingness to um try to prioritize it above anything and I, I know when I'm getting squirrely I mean, when I'm getting on thin ice um and I think I knew that early on. I knew early on, man, emotionally, I was just fried. I, I know that because I kept coming to meetings and talking well, to you. You missed you. a wimp.
1: You couldn't handle I it. I know. It
3: <laughs> didn't take much for me to get suicidal. <laughs> My life was pretty good. Well, good for I you, hated.
1: man. <laughs> You've been sober yeah. how long now? You're going to have six years in October? Yes, yeah, the
3: long way off. But, um, yeah, well, just, so,
1: just so the people on the tape know that, that when you're talking that you know you're not some yeah. knucklehead with with two days or something like that. <laughs> yes, but, you know, it's just um, forgive forgive me if you got two days. I, I called you a knucklehead. I'm a knucklehead. So so if, uh, we're family. <laughs>
3: But anyway, I just, I think that's an interesting topic because I can't figure it out, you know? Um, th- there's not much that makes sense to me. i get other guys, sponsor people, and they can check all the boxes and do everything I ask them to, and, and, and something's not connecting or whatever. And um, they're probably not doing. There's, well, something there,
1: there's something in depth that's got to happen. Check, checking the boxes. We can yeah. check all the boxes and still avoid, you know. Let's see. It.
3: Yeah, there's something. There's something I read.
1: Um, White book? Oh, just now, you mean? Yeah. You read this it. part. Right.
3: let I think just talked to... Me. Yeah, it talks about. This means we're learning to live without lust and really want to be free. And italic want is italicized. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, true. true. And there's, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I do think it's pretty miraculous. Well, like back on how much I struggled, and I think that was a lot of the emotional. Fragility going on in those early months too besides thawing out from lust and being numb for decades but um that whole thing of just It it was a shock I mean when I I couldn't go to very many meetings without realizing So much has got to change And um and in Toronto they had a thing.
1: Nothing has to change except everything. <laughs> right.
3: They, um, in Toronto at one of their meetings they had a, a poster that said nothing changes if nothing changes. That's right. And um it's like that is spot on. Anyway, the changes that I was willing to make seemed pretty subtle. The, um, the ones that I can remember Making the phone calls was horrible at first, and I, had <clears throat> I didn't have any bad experiences though, so it smoothed out pretty quickly. But um, I had my handful of guys that I would call on a regular basis that I was comfortable with, so that that made it pretty
1: easy. But, um, I have a sponsee who got sober without using phone calls. It's not because he wasn't willing to. It's because, you know, he he, he followed the directions in the Big Book and he had, had a, a spiritual experience. He got close enough to God, you know. But, I mean, th- I think this guy was never an isolator. He was always very outgoing. So I think he was talking to a bunch of people. But, you know, I don't know a lot of people who got sober without making phone calls. But he, he always says it's nowhere in the big book and people talk about phone calls as if that's going to save you and they talk about phone calls more than they talk about God. And it's just like, you know, I think for me a phone call was was a prayer with legs. It was like I was making a prayer. Hello. Just want to make sure y'all lock it. Yes, sir. We'll turn the alarm on also. Okay. Um, and um, the, uh, you know, the... the, the phone calls for me were like part of the prayer. Right. You know, uh, 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 and they were part of the willingness. You know, it's like I didn't, I was not the kind of person who made phone calls either. I was told I was going to die if I didn't do this stuff. And so I was scared to death. I was a lot more scared than what you were when you came in here. (laughs) My tail feathers were ablaze. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't know. I guess you were, I I, I shouldn't say that, but (laughs) but, I (laughs) was... You you were I'm always uh, that's that's I'm just, that just shows how how little I know but but it's like you were talking about how it's amazing you know my one of my old sponsors said I cannot explain it I can only report it mm-hmm. and that's what this is you know it's like it it doesn't it doesn't seem possible to me it seems surreal but you know, so it also really has going back to like what what
3: had to change. And, yeah, it's not the phone calls, but it's the bringing the inside out. Because I was, I mean, I lived alone entirely. I mean, kept everything about myself. I, mean, I went to Africa in 2002, and nobody at work knew about it until I got back. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they were freaked out. <laughs> it was just kept all this stuff inside I didn't talk about anything much less what's going on in here and and in my head and um you know I'm not even talking about the casual things that I just small talk that most people have um and that stuff was
1: well that does mention phone calls in the white book Uh, and um and I think it even mentions some and the, um, the uh, 18-wheeler, it's been a few months since we went, it, went there, but um, does it mention phone calls? Make friends in, in, make friends in the program, number 12. I didn't know how. I, to recover, I had to begin coming out of isolation connect with other people. I didn't know how. At first, I was forced to make phone calls to stay sober. And then the common bond developed. Yeah, and, and that's my experience. It, you know, it, it, it's, it's iso- isolation. I was so isolated socially, just like you said. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think a lot of people, uh, phone. you know, what they do before there were cell phones, I, you know, um, <laughs> maybe that's why SA didn't come around. Until, until it's uh, no, I, I doubt that. Um, but... Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very grateful for cell phones. Yeah. I mean, we just, it's like in the big book where they
3: talked about basically a meeting going on every night at this house where they all met. I think that's the it said I mean, it says that they basically met every night. And I'm not sure it was so much, you know, as organized, it probably was an organized discussion, sort of like a resembling a meeting or something like that. But I think there was—I I can see that just being one of those necessary
1: um, exercises of getting out of isolation. Well, it's the unity. It's the unity yeah. of the program. I mean, the, 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 when it talks about tradition one and the twelfth, when it talks about the, the, the lifeboat, Eddie Rickenbacker, how they all had to. To band together in order to survive. And, um, you know, it's like one hour out of every 24, there's 23 more hours in the day. I can't, I can't just come in. To, if I couldn't just come into a meeting for one hour and then, and then be tuned up for 23. I needed to, I mean, I acted out, I, I lusted all day long when I was in my disease. I needed to stay connected all day long in order to, to recover. And so that's the phone calls. Phone calls help me do that. And I know, I know now I, I, I've got people who live in areas where they can't make as many meetings, and they're doing the phone meetings, and this is really helping. Some of them are really they've they got lots of writing, in some of them. So I mean, you connect if, if you need to. You can you can have the, the false connection, or you can have the real connection. Yeah. I couldn't. What if he were saw? But well, we didn't get to the big book. But I think that's uh, step three. And hopefully, if somebody's listening on tape, we didn't we didn't bore them to death um, with those uh, little uh, little history. Um, uh, and uh, heck, if they're if they're in an isolated area, then then you know it's like any, anything will be. Man, I just I, I just can't even imagine what I would have done if I, I hadn't hadn't uh, moved to Nashville. Uh, I was I was too sick to get sober in the middle of Montana. I've got a sponsee, sponsee who's got no no meetings within four and a half hours of where he lives, wow. and so he's got to do you know things online, and, and he's doing okay. I don't think I could have done that. So anyway, I'm grateful. Uh, for for the the, the program and and, uh, and I'm gonna I think it's time for us to to close with a prayer. You guys wanna we will we'll get on the the third step in the big book when we come back next month. Lord's
2: so, prayer. Yeah. Our Father, who Lord in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation,
1: but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you.